Hi, my name is Judy. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Hi. So, uh, last night, frantically on the phone with Diane, my car's making a terrible noise. I'm afraid I can't come. I live in Palm Springs, and I stayed overnight in Pasadena for various reasons, and had it all planned to get here. And uh, anyway, it all worked out. I pulled into this wonderful Armenian gas station, and I said, I love Armenian people, and I wasn't manipulating. I really do. And... And they helped me. It was steering fluid. And here I am on time. And, you know, it's like, and I knew that basically. But, you know, you get a little cortisol going. Um, But all of the great tragedies and the great dramas and all the things I came in here with, you know, I now have some perspective, you know. And I'd like to say maybe that it's because I've aged a bit. I've been here since November 22nd, 1974, and I say uh, my surrender date is 1974, and that date hasn't changed because I have. So I'd like to spend some time talking about the ways that I've changed in this program. I came for the vanity, stayed for the sanity, and uh, I am still vain, I'm gorgeous, and I'm... uh, too bad there's no video because, uh, <laughs> but I've gotten so much more, you know, from the inside and uh, become a really decent person, a mensch. Nothing I aspire to. Oh, I was going to say, you could say that it's about aging, whoops, but there are a lot of people in my family who have aged and are still you know, riding the broom and railing at the whirlwind and resisting and you know, and uh, and I'm more in a, a let-go mode most of the time. I have what the Buddhists call equanimity. I am equanimous. I love how these things sound. So, um, one distinctive thing perhaps is that I was uh, a professional counselor in alcoholism before I got here. Uh, I'm passing around my before pictures. I weighed 222 pounds. I was helping develop a lot of great alcoholism programs here in San Pedro and other places. Uh, Worked at the Navy Hospital. Very impressive kind of stuff. Betty Ford, blah, blah. Uh, And I just kept getting fatter and fatter. And I had a head full of knowledge about the disease concept. But I really didn't see how it applied to me at all. And... uh, I would even complain in our staffings that I could not, you know, get it together around my food and the the head shrink and other people said, you know, you've always been that way. You're always going to be that way. There's no help for people like you. And this was in Los Angeles, the birthplace of OA amidst all these great minds in addiction. And I happened to give a workshop uh, at San Pedro at the Y. And a woman uh, shared that she uh, had just lost 30 pounds at Overeaters Anonymous. Whoa, Overeaters Anonymous, what a deal. So I sneaked up to her after the thing was over because I didn't want anyone to know I was fat. Well, my moo might have shifted and they'd see I was fat, but I was an existential therapist and I wanted them to know it was my existential decision to be fat. And as soon as I decided, probably Monday, as soon as I decided, 
I would take care of it. I would take care of it. So there's good news and bad news. The good news is that there is a solution. The bad news is we're it. (laughs) That we do have to turn to our fellow sufferer, the people we judge because their moo-moo is not as nice as ours. And uh, they haven't been to graduate school and been so intelligent about these issues. Uh, Whatever judgments, believe me, I've done them all and I've been in them all. I've been here 40 years. 40 years. I came here to lose 100 pounds in six months and be a prom queen and leave. I had no intention of 40 years later racing from Palm Springs and Pasadena to be with my peeps. And I thank you very much for asking me. So I sneaked up to her, and uh, she told me about a Monday morning meeting in Palos Verdes at the library. And, of course, I judged everyone in the room, and especially those ladies who got up and said how grateful they were. They were just so grateful. Uh, These Sarah Syrup gratitude people. And I'd say, you skinny bitch, sit down, you know. I'm in the back of the room, and I'm angry as hell to be here. And... uh, Then the speaker got up, and she was well-dressed and, you know, to the nines. And she started talking, and she hated her husband, and she hated her husband's secretary. And it was like electric hit me in the back of the room. I said, now there's my kind of people. (laughs) Thank God, you know. I mean, you know, I've been to meetings where, in fact, at my meeting in Palm Springs, they want to institute only positive pitches. No, honey. Uh-uh. It's the, the nitty-gritty, angry, lay-it-all-out-there people that I need to hear. You know? I, I don't want to hear how well you're doing. Thank you very much. I really do now. In fact, I was just at a Buddhist lecture. They're talking about this concept called mudita, which means genuinely, genuinely feeling joy at someone else's joy. It has taken me 40 years, but I do often feel joy at other people's joy. But I'd say for the first 30, shut up. (laughs) So, you know, I guess to you two newcomers, it takes a long time. You know, it's like they say in the Velveteen Rabbit, you know, by the time you become real, all your fur has been worn off and your springs are sprung and, you know. But uh, I do feel that I'm real, and I'm real at my essence, which is a good, good person. Wow. I was thinking about it, you know, on the way down here. It's really, so many times it's about the flip of a switch. Uh, Do I or don't I believe in God? Well, I don't really believe in God, but the, the switch to have faith that things will work out, it's just a switch. I don't care how much therapy you have or whatever it's, it's a decision you make I'm going to go for it or not and uh, in terms I do not like the word abstinence as you see I call it my surrender I do not call it abstinence because my for a lot of reasons that I won't really go into but uh, not here but too long but um, uh, you know like My friend over here has said, it is about the food and it isn't about the food, you know. Uh, It's not Weight Watchers. 
It's not about focusing on the food. However, that does get our attention, you know. Those first at least two years when I weighed and measured and called in every day to another fellow sufferer got my attention about how out of control I was. How, you know, picking these crumbs doesn't count or the top of that doesn't count or sliver, slice, slab, slob. You know, all of those things got my attention. Whoa, you are obsessed with this thing. I'll tell you, yesterday I had a difficult day with food. I was, not with food, but with me. I was hungry. I was just hungry. And, uh, you know, some days it just bees like that. You know, I made a call. I talked about it. Yeah. You know, because I'm a therapist, so I wanted to figure it out. Because if I figure it out, I'm powerful and have control over it. Wrong. I became a therapist to figure out why I was fat. And what I could do was stand in front of the fridge and explain to you why I was eating like this. You know, I knew about my mother and I knew about my husband and blah, blah, blah. They're just things we make up. They're interesting material for our memoirs, but they're not necessarily. Uh, I remember uh, once calling a lady, Annie. Annie A, who some of you may know, Annie and Lou, and I, I don't want to bring it as a downer, but uh, Annie just passed away a few weeks ago, and uh, Lou passed away about a year ago. So uh, we're getting scarcer, we uh, long-timers, you know. But, uh, you know, I called Annie and I said, you know, I had this extra apple because of the cha 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 And she said, you know, you had the apple because you wanted to eat the apple. That's exactly why. I mean, there's always a good reason. Always, always. So try to clear your mind of that. And if you can, I just say some days it's got me. And other days it doesn't. And that's after 40 years. So that is my message of hope to you. Because what does that do? It keeps me coming here. And it renders me continuously humble. This is the thing in my life that drove me to my knees. I thought I was an absolutely perfect person. It was just that I was fat. And when I had to just pull in some honesty around what was in my plate, that all these other areas of dishonesty loomed up in my life. And all the things about myself I wasn't noticing, and all the things about my relationships I wasn't noticing, and whoa, whoa. And unfortunately, you newcomers, once you notice these things, uh uh-oh, you're either going to eat over it or you're going to take care of business somehow or you're going to realize sometimes the answer to prayer is not yet and you're going to have to sit in the hallways waiting for the right direction. And what does that mean again? Drives us straight to our fellow sufferer. You get on the phone. How come I don't have an answer yet today? Impatience, intolerance. These are the kind, you know, I have been dieting. Why isn't the scale showing it up? You know? I never notice when I'm gaining weight that the scale doesn't, isn't responsive to what I'm doing, right? <laughs> but I'm, when I'm losing weight, it better, you know. So, uh, how much time do I have? Seven minutes. Whoa. Well, it's been a long, glorious ride. I have a uh, very wonderful life, uh, but a lot of surrender. Uh, 
you know, six years after getting into OA, I finally turned myself into AA. I had already divorced my alcoholic husband, um, so I couldn't focus on his drinking. Um, I was no longer working mostly in alcoholism where I could focus on their drinking. I was working, I had created an eating disorder unit and it was a big, big deal. And uh, a lot of things happened, as many of you in this room know about, but uh, I was obsessed with my work. I became a workaholic. That was my identity. And I, and I was doing God's will and great things and helping over eaters anonymous and, you know, all this ego, ego, ego. And it was snatched away from me. And I was devastated. I would wake up in the night crying. So what happened? You know, there's that story in AA about the guy with the horse and the son with the broken leg. And whatever you think is a bad thing sometimes turns out to be a good thing. You know, like his son wasn't taken off conscripted to the army because his leg was broken. Blah, blah. So I was devastated. But I had time. So I finished writing my Ph.D. dissertation, and I turned it into a popular book. And a whole different thing happened. I got on national television many times and had this whole career lecturing, speaking, blah, 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 for years. And it was fabulous. It was a great, great ride. The last ten years has, have been about trying to give that up. <laughs> trying to let, you know, I'm finally refired. I'm... Uh, I'm more into, okay, I'm more into uh, my personal life. I ha I'm not only my work. I have, a, oh, that's why it was taken away from me, because I thought all I was was my work. And I now have a personal life with a lovely man, and we travel, and we play, and we have great fun. Uh, and I'm trying to learn how to develop that side of myself more, which is uh, interesting. <laughs> I realize how, you know, codependency looms again. You know, how I'm so uh, mindful of his mood. Oh, he's having a bad day. What did I do? It's all about me. My fault. How can I fix it? Turn into a pretzel. Whoa. Whoa. But this is my nature. And uh, constantly reminded of some of these things. Uh, so I, you know, I still have a sponsor that I call, and uh, not daily now, but I do, and I'm constantly working on issues. It don't go away, and uh, and I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I had a bit of a crisis with my recovery this summer, where I just kept going to meetings and not feeling connected, and same old, same old, and all these kind of things, and. You know, I've had a number of sponsors over the years tell me, you know, your relationship with OA is just like any relationship. It ebbs and flows, just like food, good days and bad days. And you keep, keep investing, you know. About this God thing, it's not about what God does. God's not my butler. God is not going to get me a parking space, although he did this morning. <laughs> uh, and Michael put quarters in my uh, meter. So... Uh, it's, it's how much am I going to invest. It's like the pledge break on PBS TV. Uh, you know, we have a matching donor. If you put in $5, they'll put in 10 right? So I, all I have to worry about is what am I going to invest today in my recovery? And then there will be some return on the investment, but not necessarily on my timetable. 
My major arguments with God have been timing battles, you know. Uh, again, and another part of my recovery that I struggled with this summer is the whole God thing, because in AA I go to we agnostic meetings, and uh, I, uh, anyway, spiritual, not religious, blah, blah, blah. There's so much to talk about, isn't there? So, uh, my, my food plan is flexitarian. Uh, I've been on all the food plans that OA suggests, as well as many, many others. So, uh, and it's a daily deal. You know, my exercise levels are different on a daily basis. I am leaving here, I'm going to change my clothes, and I'm going to an all-day yoga thing at Loyola Marymount. Hello? You know? 80 pounds ago, never, you would never have seen me at yoga. And I'm looking forward to it. I love it. And I love connecting my mind and my body and my spirit. And A friend of mine had some surgery recently. She said, you know, I hate that, uh, you know, going under anesthesia. I said, I love it. She said, why do you love it? I said, because... When I come out, she said she didn't like coming out of it. I said, I love it because when I'm coming out of it, I know that something happened, but I'm not responsible. And quite frankly, that's why I like to drink the blackouts also. You know, know, uh, in fact, I, I got into AA six years after OA because I stopped having blackouts. I started seeing the whole scene. I was mortified. So that's another story. But, you know, in the 60s, we used to say, like, kind of smart aleck, uh, uh, reality is for people who can't handle drugs. <laughs> you know? We used to make fun of squares who can, couldn't handle <laughs> drugs. Well, now, in my recovery, I want to tell you, reality is for people who can't handle drugs. That we have to live in reality. And I was just listening to a tape on the way in here. It's not about being sweet and nice if that's not my reality. That's another lie. We're as fat as we are dishonest. And these meetings help us focus to get to our truth. And that's why I love to be here because we're all struggling as best we can to get there. So, uh, and we're all here because we're not all there. So, thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself if it's being recorded. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. And then... We stop at 9.35. So, who might we have questions? Yes. So she's asking, how did I use the program when my identity was taken away when my work left me? Uh, I did have a sense 
by listening to people at these rooms that something positive might happen as a result. So that was one thing. I went to a lot of meetings, of course. I kept in touch with my primary purpose, which is to keep my food in order because I got one big problem. Now if I'm going to eat, I'm going to have more big problems. So like that. But I remember, and I did call Annie again. Uh, I told her what had happened. She said, isn't that great? God doesn't close one door without opening another one. I said, shut up. You know, shut your own door, you know. Uh, I was not happy about it. And I actually, this is interesting, uh, I had just bought a house at the beach uh, about a month before this happened. And so I looked down at the beach and I had a picture of myself as this bag lady. And I would be greeting people and saying, I used to live in that house up there. Uh, And that's how I saw it happening. And I said, you know what? If that's going to happen, let me savor the moment. Let me just be in this house. I heard it took nine months to get evicted. So I said, I'll just live here and enjoy it and finish my writing, my PhD, which had to get done. I kept putting it off because I was so busy developing for others, you know. So I focused on what i got to do today, keeping my food and my meetings in order. And... uh, Within three months, I was contacted by another outfit that wanted me to do consulting with them. But I had learned my lesson. I'll never be an employee again, you know. And, and also, I learned that I'm not my work. I really did. And then, of course, all this other stuff uh, blew up with the TV and everything. So, yes. My higher power is my still small voice within. And our coin says, to thine own self be true. So I believe that there is a clear path that I'm destined to be following. And I don't know who created that, and I don't care. Because my behavior is going to be the same whether there is or isn't a God. So I don't want to make it about God's laws or anybody's religion. It's just about... What's true for me? So I have to stay consulting other people. How do I sound from there? Well, it doesn't smell good from over here. You know, you got your foot in it. So I try to do my yoga, keep my body resonant. If my body is lard-laden and sugar-coated, I cannot hear my own true voice. So I try to keep kind of... Uh, My friend and I were just talking about we wanted to be girded and gaunt. Want to have a bit of a gaunt, you know. We're not anorexic, trust me. But, uh, you know, just kind of and girded to welcome in whatever's coming, coming as well as what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to change direction here? You know, uh, I was living with my alcoholic husband who was beating me. He beat me the night before my first TV appearance. They had to put all kinds of makeup on, you know. And I kept complaining about, I got to go, but I see my clients in the guest house, and I don't want to give up the house. And a lady said to me, you know, there will always be something. And because I was abstinent, my body was like chapel bells went off. Bong! We got to get out of this situation. Whatever it takes, lose the house. Move the clients. Boom. Howard, one of us is leaving today. It's not you, it's me, but it's over. So, 
When we're busy eating, we cannot hear our true direction. So that's my higher power, I guess. And I, I don't want to identify it as so I, me, ego involved. It's not trusting my head to know stuff. I'm grateful that I came here as a smart person who was already successful with what my brain could do for me. And I had to surrender to that there's some other wow, wow, there's some other energy out there that I haven't tapped into. And I, I try to tap into that. So, Yeah. Oh my God, how has OA changed over the years? Don't get me started. Don't get me started. Uh, very big. Uh, of course, I'm an old person, so I like the old ways. It should be the old ways. But first of all, we would never, ever, ever allow a texture in a meeting. Hello? You know, we gather here like little gerbils to, to share our energy and our hope to give ourselves each other undivided attention and call from the other to come out, right? Do not be... Is anyone here on a cell phone? I'll kill you. <laughs> I just spent the, number, the, the summer in New York, and Patty Lapone at Lincoln Center went out into the audience and grabbed a guy's phone in the middle of the show. And, and now, now, because and, I saw the show after she had done that, the week later, and now there's an announcement, her voice saying to everyone before the thing starts, she says, we in this community, meaning the theater community, but it applies to us, she said, we gather together to witness each other and to share the energy. Please don't let yourself be distracted. Into, I mean, we have enough distractions just in our own head, right? So anyway, that's a biggie. Uh, the whole split that happened about abstinence and food plan between Fred and Bill and... One group was fat serenity. You don't have to do a thing about your food. You just read the big book, work the steps, and you'll lose weight, even though he had stayed on gray sheet to lose his weight. And then the other one who said, you've got to eat this way. Rigid stuff. Uh, that has created many, many problems. Then, of course, the whole addition of anorexics and vomiters changes a whole bunch of stuff. Like, what is OA about, really, you know? Abstinence versus weight loss. You know, I've seen people take a candle for, I have 25 years of no flour and sugar. Meantime, each night they eat a side of beef, you know, and they gain 100 pounds on this, abs this abstinence. So, not that I should judge. <laughs> but, you know, I want to have a healthy, resonant body, and I also want to live in the world. I want to go on the trips I go on and eat what's available. Oh, my God, there was sugar in the salad dressing. So, just go on. Maybe you'll feel a little withdrawals. Too bad. Suffer through it. Back on. What's the big deal? Not all of this, you know, chaotic drama about food. Making it all about the food. So that's been very big and... But I could go on forever. There's a million things. And, of course, we've gotten a lot smaller. You know, I was so happy that this meeting was going to be here today because the last time I was here, Dora Siegel spoke. Oh my God. She stood on that side of the room. The chairs were this way. 
Doris Siegel. Wow. And I'll never forget the one line she had was, uh, first of all, she had little hard candies on, in little plates all around her living room. And she never touched one of them. Oh. Anyway, but uh, she said that she was so codependent and so guilty and so undeserving that if somebody gave her a ride to a meeting, she sent them a gift from Bullock's Wilshire. <laughs> you know, which was a very fancy department store in those days. So, you know, in this program, I've learned all these cute little phrases that people say that give you the whole message without a lot of dread, you know. So, uh, I can't say much more about how the program has changed, but there's a lot of things. When I do retreats, we kind of get into that. Doris. Doris. Oh, thanks for calling me Doris. I'm channeling Doris. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> I do not refrain from any foods. I periodically have cookie breath. I eat moderately. That's all I can say. No, 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 no. Actually, one thing I was, what I thought I was going to talk about today is the different stages of my recovery. But initially, it was major focus on weight loss and food. I was on gray sheet for at least two years. Weighed and measured, called every day. Gray sheet was stricter even than the HOW program. Some of you know it from the old days. And I'm very grateful for that because it's now taught me things that are almost instinctive. Four ounces is about a palm of your hand. Two ounces of cheese are like two little dice. (laughs) I mean, why bother? Uh, You know, but, but, you know... uh, Yes, I think it has to get your attention and you have to get the clarity of discipline. Yeah, we have to surrender to our discipline. We have to lean into that empty void that we are stuffing. We have to let it speak to us. How bad can the message be? We're all decent human beings. We really are. Not that I was told that in my childhood. I was told a lot of other messages about myself. So that's why I became such a big shot to show them. And then I had to realize I got to make my own decisions and choices. Yes, Michael. Thank you. So in the beginning of your pitch, you said something about now you believe you're a decent, a good human being. I believe that the spiritual malady tells us that we're not. So talk about a little bit how you came to that realization that you really are. Yeah, well, uh, faith without works is dead. How do you come to knowing you're a decent human being is you follow direction. You know, uh, just last night, for example, we went out to dinner with uh, Henry's, uh, one of Henry's sons and his wife. And uh, Henry did something that uh, I don't like, and I will talk with him about at some other time. But I have learned here restraint of tongue and pen. You know, it wasn't the right time. And uh, I, I surveyed the situation. That could be manipulative, but it's more about kindness, you know, uh, kindness for both of us and honesty without the charge of the negative energy, you know. So I have to do my work around it so that I, you know, just like Jack Webb, only the facts, ma'am, 
only the facts. You know, just deliver the facts here. Um, these things take work. It ain't easy, you know. We, we cannot just be willy-nilly reactive people because guess what? Then I punish myself with excess food. Making the food the priority in the beginning changes everything. That's why I wanted to warn the newcomers. You know how everybody's so nice and huggy and friendly and smiley? You know on some level they want to mess with your food. (laughs) But the truth is really you're here because you want to mess with your food. You know that it ain't getting it somehow. You know That, that the price you pay just isn't worth it. And so we're here to try to encourage you that there's a better life without excess, with discipline. I remember once hearing a speaker saying that she's defined by her discipline. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Oh, you're just adjusting your sleeve? I'm done? Oh, good. Thanks for share. Can you talk about... Uh, your most challenging uh, thing you had to go through in the program and what tools you relied on to get you (laughs) what was my most challenging thing and what tools I rely on well my tools are my sponsor my writing I do a lot of writing I came from the days that when you called your sponsor she says have you written about it yet if you hadn't written call me back that you first had to do some investment again. Investment. Not just blah, 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 blah. Investment. Now let's look at it. Uh, I just this last year I've had a terrible challenge that uh, I'm still writing about and trying to work on. And, and that is that I, uh, well, that job thing was the first biggest. That was outrageous. And that took many years of working through. Uh, this one is that uh, there's a group of therapists in New York that I've been meeting with for 30 years. And I lived in New York for 10 years of it. During my lecture career, I would always make sure my schedule got me to New York the second Friday of the month. So I'd meet with them. And I don't have really a good family situation. And I tend to make people my family. And I become very dependent and naive and all kinds of childlike stuff. And the truth is, I don't want to lose a lot of my childlike stuff. Makes me a great therapist, a great writer, and and a cool person. But I'm more wounded often than most people. And I, you know, I want to self-soothe with a little extra food. So anyway, uh, because I moved back to California 10 years ago, uh, so I've only been available kind of by phone and email and every summer I would still go back and meet with them. Anyway, they called me in January and decided that they uh, needed to kick me out of the group. And uh, I'm still working on it. They said it, uh, that my being so far away caused leakage, which I don't know what that means. And they were having their own issues around not meeting as often. They were kind of dwindling on their own. And I kind of became the scapegoat for why the group wasn't working for them. And hello, this is not a new thing for me to be the scapegoat in many situations. But it just recalled all this blaming. And and the big thing was 
that I am so joyous today. And, you know, this mudita, sharing my joy and other people's joy and being able to come to meetings and share joy instead of... So, they also kicked me out because of that. Which also goes back to childhood stuff of my mother saying, how can you be happy when my life is so miserable? So, hello. I just turned 70. I still have childhood work to do. Uh, Life never ceases to wound me in a way that breaks me open. So, uh, I'd love to tell you I have this resolved and that I, I will try to, you know, oh, the other thing is a number of these people tried to get to see me this summer and I said, I can't because your behavior as a group was so horrific, just like the Nazis, then why do you want to individually be my friend? Like, you participated in a group thing and you need to deal with that. So, it would be a lie for me to sit with these people and make small talk when I'm so wounded. And I don't want to jump on them. So, like I said, writing, writing, writing. So, uh, I'm done, right?